0: Wow, isn't this a cosy group tonight? I think they all heard I was preaching. <laughs> um, I'm just going to have to move this, Sandy, so I can yeah. just see the... the... Will you? Yeah. Thank you. I just love... I love it when you lead, Michelle. I love it when you lead too, Sandy, but... <laughs> I just love it when you lead and that was just, the singing was fantastic, everybody. And the music, didn't they do great? Don't reckon they did great tonight. That was just beautiful. Can we pray while they're fiddling with this? (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, I'm just really reminded of that last song that we sang that, all I am is yours. Oh, Lord, as we come tonight to just hear from your word and and just really come before you, we've had such a beautiful time of worship, Lord, and we just really love to worship you and praise you with song and music. But, Lord, I'm reminded in your word that, In Romans 12, we're to present our whole bodies as a living sacrifice to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we just want to come before you now and I just pray that every heart will be open to your word, to the message tonight. Every ear, every mind will take in the word of God. And, Lord, that we can learn to be more and more like you and learn what you desire from us. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I couldn't Okay. Well While Sandy's doing that, I'm I'm just going to make a start. Mm, Sandy, sorry. Well, I just can't see the monitor. Sorry. Sorry. We'll get there. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's great. Okay, let's start. (laughs) Okay. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. After leaving them, he went into the hills to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land, and he prayed. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So he prayed for them. I just made that. One of those days, Jesus went out into the hills to pray and spent the night praying to God. Once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowds say I am? He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Tonight, we're actually looking at the third week in the series ..on um, evangelism. I I don't think that's what Phil entitled it, but that's what it's about, really. Um, Getting the good news out there. And tonight we're looking at prayer, the effectiveness of prayer and how prayer needs to accompany love, which was the first week, the good news and understanding the good news, being able to explain the gospel And this week is our third week, and obviously it's about prayer. When a doctoral student at Princeton asked, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research, Albert Einstein said, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. And we know that in the Holy Scriptures, Jesus, who was the Son of God, who came to earth as man, who died for us on a cross for our sins, who reconciled us back to God so that we could have right relationship with God, so that we could have eternal life. Jesus, who was God, prayed to God. So if Jesus did that, then... I think we better think seriously about this thing of prayer. You know, every faith has some form of prayer. Remote tribes present offerings and then pray for everyday things such as health, food, rain, children, victories in battle. We just heard Margie talk about um, over in Malawi and how Catherine Gervin had prayed with this lady. Uh, for a job, for sustenance. Every, every civilization has prayed to some god, some form of higher being. Incas and Aztecs went so far as to sacrifice humans in order to attract God's attention. Five times a day, modern Muslims stop whatever they're doing, be it having coffee, be it driving, playing soccer, and when the summons comes to pray, they face Mecca and they pray five times a day. And even atheists find ways to pray. During communism in Russia, um, Pravda, or Pravda, the um, communist newspaper, ran this advice to its readers in 1950. If you meet with difficulties in your work or suddenly doubt your abilities, think of him, of Stalin, and you will find the confidence you need. If you feel tired in an hour when you should not be tired, think of him, of Stalin, and your work will go well. If you are seeking a correct decision, think of him, of Stalin, and you'll find that decision. So even a country that rejected God actually had faith, had a belief in something, in a higher being. And this one was the, um, I don't know if he was called the president, but he was the dictator, I think, of Russia. Philip Yancey says that when he started exploring the subject of Christian prayer, he first went to libraries and read accounts of some of the great prayers in history, George Mueller began each day with several hours of prayer, pleading with God to meet the practical needs of his orphanage. Bishop Lancelot Andrews allotted five hours per day to prayer and Charles Simeon rose at 4am to begin his day after four hours of prayer. How are you feeling? An order of nuns known as the sleepless ones still pray in shifts through every hour of the night and day. Susanna Wesley, a busy mother with no privacy, would sit in a rocking chair with an apron over her head praying for John and Charles and the rest of her children. Martin Luther devoted two to three hours of prayer daily and said we should do it as naturally as a shoemaker makes a shoe and a tailor makes a coat. Great deeds are done through great times in prayer. And so it is when we want to share the gospel. Yancey interviewed ordinary people like you and I about prayer and typically the results went like this. Is prayer important to you? Oh, yes. Well, how often do you pray? Every day. Approximately how long do you pray? Five minutes, maybe seven. Do you find prayer satisfying? Not really. Do you sense the presence of God when you pray? Occasionally, but not often. Many of those he talked to experienced prayer more as a burden than a pleasure. They regarded it as important, even paramount, and felt guilty about their failure, blaming themselves. Why does prayer rank so high on surveys of need, yet so low on actual satisfaction? Why is it that in other generations and other present-day countries like Malawi, men and women of God pray for hours on their knees and we get fidgety after 10 minutes? In theory, prayer is the most essential of all human acts. It's the point of contact with the God of the universe. So what causes us to not pray as we should Well, we have advances in science and technology and they contribute to our confusion in prayer. Years ago, farmers lifted their heads and pleaded with God to end the drought. Now we study low pressure fronts, dig deep irrigation channels. In days gone past when a child fell ill, the parents cried out to God. Now they call for an ambulance or phone the doctor. I wonder if we were like that woman in Malawi, would we pray to God that he would answer our prayer for a job interview, if we felt confident, if we looked smart, if we had a really fantastic background of education, CV, all the right things, I wonder. So... That causes us to not pray as we should. But another thing that causes us to not pray as we should is world scepticism. Why does God let life go on sometimes so horribly without intervening? You know, in the last two weeks, we've had some pretty horrific tragedies here. We had that train crash last week where 11 people died and one man lost his entire family and it appeared that he was a man of faith and just last week just a few days ago a family were driving their four-wheel drive along the pacific highway in that incredibly torrential rain and I see David is here David Miles and his mum rang me and said I've just gone she was driving in that very rain and said I've just gone through the most horrendous um, weather pattern Um, And I, I hadn't heard the news at this point and I thought, oh, gee, it sounds like there was a bit of rain. Well, it was so extraordinary that this family were actually washed away. Why doesn't God intervene? What good will prayer do against a cynical world that hears these things and doesn't see God's hand intervening? And also prosperity dulls our prayer. You know, as well-off developed nations rely more and more on their own talents and resources, we see it all the time, even in medical fields where we can now clone human beings. When we rely on our finance to solve immediate problems, we need less and less of God. Retirement plans, superannuation, investment secures our futures When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we do so knowing that the pantry is always going to have food in it. Christians in developing countries spend less time wondering about the effectiveness of prayer and more time actually praying. So why should we pray? Well, the last two weeks we've talked about um, why we should pray And just before I do, I'd just love you to read this because basically it's an outline of the gospel and this is why we should pray, because there are men and women, children all around the world that are perishing and just because we know Jesus, some of you here may not know Jesus, but we have such an incredible obligation to let the good news, the message of the gospel be known to a lost and confused and sinful and hurting world. The Bible says, when a person is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, it is and always has been a spiritual supernatural process. And that process cannot occur On its own. It requires the Holy Spirit, it requires the Word of God, but it also requires people, men and women, young people, old people like ourselves, to intercede for people on our behalf, to storm heaven, to get God's attention, to get His heart to be moved, to respond to those who are lost. The initiative is always with God. It is the Father who draws us. And you can copy down those scriptures if you want and look them up later. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts. He causes confession to be made, and that's in Corinthians, and he completes our conversion. It is he who guides us into truth, and it is he who affects miraculous signs for unbelievers, which causes repentance within them. He is constantly at work to reveal the very essence of himself, which is love, which is what we heard that first week, God is love, 1 John 4.8. This truth that God is love in turn attracts other unbelievers to move from death to life. It says in Colossians 1.13, he rescued us from the power of darkness and brought us safe into the kingdom of his dear son. So why should we pray? It's a very big, big piece of scripture here. We should pray, the first point, is that others will know the gospel. You know, the gospel is about God's grace towards people who are trapped in self-centeredness, sin and evil. And while we are privileged to be able to share the message about Jesus with other people, it is not us who saves them, but God as he works through his word and his spirit. But we need to pray. Prayer involves speaking to God about people. Talking about Jesus involves speaking to people about God. And prayer, although it's not evangelism, it should always be a parallel activity. We should ask God to save people. We should ask for opportunities and boldness to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should ask that our speech would be both wise and gracious. John Ortberg, who um, is a a fabulous author said that one of his favourite stories was about intercessory prayer and it came from Tony Compolo. A prayer meeting was held for him just before he spoke at a Pentecostal college chapel service. Eight men took Tony to a back room of the chapel and had him kneel. They laid their hands on his head and they began to pray. And that was a good thing, said Tony, except that they prayed a long time. And the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on his head. So eight hands on his head. And he says, I want to tell you that when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. To make matters worse, one of the men was not even praying for Tony. He went on and on praying for someone named Charlie Stolfus. S-T-O-L-T-Z-F-U-S, Stolspus. Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. Tony said he wanted to inform the prayer that it was not necessary to let God know exactly where the trailer was because God already knew. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids Step in and do something, God. Bring that family back together. Tony writes that he finally got the Pentecostal preachers off his head, delivered his message and got in his car to drive home. As he drove, this is a true story, onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he noticed a hitchhiker. I'll let him tell it from here, says John Ortberg. We drove a few minutes and I said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo, what's yours? He said, my name is Charlie Stolzfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that and after a few minutes he said, hey mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked, why? I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, Right. That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. Then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer. When I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. <laughs> when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, You're back, you're back, he whispered in her ear and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down, I'm going to talk and you two are going to listen. Man, did they listen. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ, a true story. So we're told in Corinthians 1, 3, 5 to 11. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase." Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid sorry than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. So get the message we pray that others will know the gospel. you may only ever get to pray. but be alive, be aware that while one prays or one waters, the other one reaps, where one sows, the other harvesters harvests. But we are all together in this and our focus should always be on prayer and our focus should always be looking, praying, God, give me an opportunity, give me the opportunity to speak the good news as Phil did last week. So that's the first reason that we pray. But the second reason is that we pray to overcome the devil. And Marg mentioned before about the kingdom of, you know, um, the darkness. And we're told in Ephesians 6 for, um, you know, we we do not i just got to get a bit closer, guys, sorry. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is the reality of our lives. That's a hard concept to grasp, especially in our very practical, materialistic, indulged, comfortable lives, that in actual fact, the devil is actually alive and well and influencing and affecting our lives on a daily basis. And, you know, the devil is in the world. The devil is in the world. The Bible opens up with a world created by God where everything is good in Genesis 1. Man is at peace with himself and with his fellow man, with his environment and most of all with God. In this world, though, we are confronted without any explanation with the serpent in Genesis 3. And the serpent or the devil is the one that comes to seek to kill, rob and destroy And we know that he's been doing that ever since God created the world. Lewis Sperry Chafer, in his book, True Evangelism, Winning Souls by Prayer, explains why it's so hard to win souls for Christ. The reason is that the spirit of this world, Satan, has deceived and blindfolded man. He's placed a veil of unregeneration, onto and into the minds of man. And the spirit of this world, it would seem, is winning the battle. But don't forget, in 1 John 4, it says, He who is in us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in this world. And the only way to lift the veil so the gospel can be effective is through prayer. And what hinders the spirit from performing his work of convicting the world of sin and their need for salvation? Just the lack of prayer and the lack of intercession. That is the only thing that hinders the the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think of this prayer as being like the ability to lift the fog which gathers around the windscreen of my little Um, Toyota. I've got a little Toyota car and I find that it's very compact and quite, you know, there's lots of window space. And on these cold, cold mornings and evenings, it actually fogs up quite incredibly. And I find that when I turn the key and put the heater on, I have to wait a few moments, but the heater doesn't actually clear the windscreen. I find that I actually have to put the air conditioner on, even though it's freezing, to clear the window. And as I turn that air conditioner knob, it's just magic. I just see, instead of a fog, I see this incredible lifting and it goes right down the window. And you just see it before your eyes, it lifts. And then I can see out and I can drive, which is so fantastic. And that's a little bit like what prayer is like For us, when we pray against evil in the world, prayer is like that um, air conditioning switch. It actually demystifies the veil and takes the fog away from the carnal mind, from the unregenerated mind. So we've got to pray to overcome the devil But we also have to pray to overcome the offence of God. In um, Galatians 5, uh, um, 11, it says, Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. So why does Paul say that? Basically what he's saying is that the cross is offensive it is an offence um, to, to spread the good news. And um, Lewis Chaffer says that for many years he was not able to admit to anyone how really difficult he found it to try to speak to people about Jesus. He thought there must be something wrong with him. And it was a long time before he discovered that almost all Christians were like him, that um, some were even more so, They were ashamed of the gospel. And um, Jesus says in Mark 8, 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You know, it is hard in this day and age to actually preach the gospel because the gospel is divisive. The gospel is, comes against families. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34 to 36, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So the gospel is divisive. That's another reason it's offensive. But the gospel is offensive because it also appears weak and foolish. Paul reminds us that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is is the power of God, he says. And there is a large gap here. On the one hand, we find it hard to understand why people cannot see the wonder of the gospel uh, while they, for their part, can't understand its foolishness. And think about just three aspects of the Christian message. Last week when I was listening to Phil, I thought it's so great to have it have it explained, but objectively, how crazy is the gospel that God would become man? How crazy is that? Who who would believe that? Why would God want to become man? No other religion is there on earth where God would stoop so low and become man. Think about the second, a second um, fundamental principle of the gospel, a dying God. I mean, that is just crazy, isn't it? I mean, Muslims find the gospel offensive because Allah, you would never, ever have Allah dying. He is omnipotent. We have a dying God. How crazy is that? And lastly, and scarily, what about the church? How crazy is that? What damage over the centuries has the church played to Christ's great commission? So we need to pray to overcome the offence of the gospel. I couldn't help but think this past week in the media we've had two Religious leaders portrayed quite openly, and and um, you know with great um, significance in the media. Media one was the Dalai Lama, and the other was Bishop Pell. Listen and hear the way both were um, uh, both were discussed, both were printed about. Bishop Pell was basically ridiculed, the Dalai Lama was, you know, just held up in incredible high esteem. The gospel is offensive and we have to pray that we can overcome that offensiveness. Two more. We pray to relate to everyone Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Two weeks ago, I was just so privileged to have my son-in-law, Carl's auntie, so try and work that one out, Auntie and Uncle, Carol and Phil Short, and they're missionaries in Nigeria, which is just north of Nigeria in Africa. And the other other day in the news, um, oh, I might have been reading it somewhere, they actually targeted Nigeria, N-I-G-E-R, as being the poorest nation on earth. It's up in that Sahara band across, um, you know, just northern Africa and most of the people there live nomadic lives and um, over 25 years ago Carol and Phil Short were called there to uh, be missionaries amongst the Fulani people and they were a nomadic people and for eight years they were with them and they saw very little fruit for their labours and after those eight years they left and came back to Australia brought their children back here where they attended high school went to high school and then on to university and just in the last three years they've been called back in their 60s to full-time mission work back in Nigeria and they couldn't believe that in those 17 intervening years what had happened when they got back they couldn't believe that people they had connected with and had life shared life with still remembered them 17 years on. In fact, some of those people uh, had a pilgrimage every year back to their little fibro house to see if they'd returned. And the tapes that they'd left with them, they'd been listening to. Now, I don't know how you listen to an old little... Um, you know I can't even think of the word now tape recorded tape audio tape but for 17 years these people had passed these tapes around amongst the Fulani and they couldn't believe that when they came back the gospel had spread and I said to Carol now they are reaping this incredible harvest to Muslim people it's incredible and I said to Carol, what's made the difference? She said, prayer. Prayer has made the difference. Prayer has been the defining difference. These are people that just live their, their, their faith. They're incredible. I just want to read one other little story, a vignette from this book, Mosques and Miracles, by Stuart Robinson about Islam He says, in the war-torn country of Iraq, at the conclusion of the Iran-Iraq war, reports indicated that one church grew from 30 to 600 members in one month. In Iran, on March 25, 2001, 24 Iranians from a non-Christian background were baptised. Those who officiated considered it the largest number of such people to be baptised in one meeting for centuries. After the Gulf War against the Allied forces, a church in Baghdad grew from 250 to more than 1,200 believers. Even from Saudi Arabia, reports filter through of discreet believers in Jesus amongst its citizens. Punishment for any sort of Christian activity in Saudi Arabia is similar to that for murder, rape and drug trafficking. 70 lashes and six months to 20 years in jail for your Christian faith. In extreme cases, it may result in death by beheading. Yet when Pastor Daniel prayed for a paralysed man in a Saudi hospital and the man was healed, many of the hospital staff subsequently committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Stuart Robinson says that culture is a key adjust and anything is possible this is what paul is saying adjust to seek the lost and anything is possible and lastly we pray because basically as we heard in that last vignette prayer is powerful prayer is powerful. To pray the Lord's prayer with meaning is to pray yourself into evangelism. As day by day you pray, hallowed be thy name, ask yourself, how will that prayer be answered? How will other people pray, hallowed be your name, Lord God? One way will be by men and women acknowledging Jesus as Lord. That will only take place as they hear the gospel. How distressed are you about your family member, your neighbour, your work colleague that hasn't heard the gospel, that cannot say, hallowed be your name? Will you keep praying for them with meaning? Your kingdom come. That is the prayer that excites That is what is happening in Africa. Your kingdom, your kingdom, Lord Jesus Christ, will come. And there is an incredible move of God because people have nowhere else to go but to pray like we heard from Mark before. It's just such a lesson for all of us. It's a lesson for me. It's a lesson for all of us here Not all of us can go to Africa, but I have to tell you, when Margie said Mission Watch, I'm thinking the mission is here as well. The mission is all around us. There are men and women and children perishing tonight. I wonder how many of those that were killed in the train disaster actually knew Jesus. I bet when they got on that train that afternoon, they had no idea that that very same afternoon they would be standing before Jesus Christ. It's a sobering thought. So we must, we must be effective in our prayers. And and prayer is powerful. You know, in Acts 4 it says, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, And then he goes on to talk for quite a few verses. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and heard them, that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. When we pray, just prior to that instance, the believers, about 70 in all, were holed up in a room and they were praying. They were praying like crazy and the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them power, gave them power. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commanded his followers to wait in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. His coming would give them power for their new mission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. So how do we start? How do we start? We've, we've heard tonight we have no choice. There are people that are perishing and we have a fantastic a principle, a fantastic strategy available to us. It's called prayer. It works in parallel with the Word and the Holy Spirit. So I think it's a great idea tonight. Choose one person to pray for. Before you leave here tonight, ask the Holy Spirit to lay upon your heart, Lord, who Do you want me to pray into the kingdom of light tonight and don't give up? Keep praying for that one person. Start small. Spend seven minutes praying for them every day in prayer. But then be bold, maybe double that time. See what happens. Remember, prayer is a learned habit. It doesn't just happen naturally. We know that, don't we? We know how hard it is to go to God in prayer, but it is a learned habit. And the more you do it, the more you will be able to do it. Be led by the Holy Spirit and look for opportunities. Sometimes I think our minds, like the fog, cloud us and and, and prevent us from realizing that rather than people won't want to hear because it's offensive that there could be people, there are people that are yearning to hear. Find a time to pray regularly and find a place to pray regularly. Will you join me in the greatest adventure that God could ever give to us? The incredible adventure of seeing someone Turn from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I think it's very appropriate that we pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your understanding that prayer is essential, that you modelled it, that you prayed, that, Lord, we need to pray because there is a lost a broken, a hurting world, world out there, and we can't do it, Lord. But we've learned tonight it is you, Lord, that um, leads us, you guide us, you create the opportunities, you impart to us the burden, you impart to us the boldness, you impart to us the power. Oh, Lord, let us all just tonight decide to step up into the real challenge of praying our family, praying our friends, praying our work colleagues, praying people in this community into the kingdom of light. In Jesus' name, amen.